So he had no room for Miley Cyrus or Justin Bieber anymore, so he was a little frustrated with that. <laughs> All right. You know, can we give it up one more time for Danielle and Marge? Did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. I also want to recognize the fact that we had about a hundred volunteers that gave of their vacation, their summer to be here, and that in and of itself, it was just so fun to see many of you who we see on Sundays just getting to be here and loving on these kids, and it made a huge impact. And kids, I need your help in this one because every day of VBS we had a very similar theme that we focused on. Hi, honey. You got yourself a donut, huh? Okay, so mommy, apparently you said after he sang the song, you could have this. Good to go? All right. Can I have a bite? Can I, can I have a bite? Can you share with daddy? All right, go, go back. You can go back with mommy. I love you. So it's probably a good thing he's over here today because we do not want to inflict that sugar rush on the child care workers across the street. Anyway, kids, I need your help with this one because every day we had a different theme and it often started out with no matter how you feel... Trust God, no matter what other people do or say to you, no matter what's going on in your life, what should we do? And there's something very simple about saying that, something very easy about saying trust God, but it comes off sounding pretty trite, especially in a day and age where you have people breaking into movie theaters and doing horrific things. In a day and age where many of us are without work and just wondering how the heck we're going to make bills this month. It sounds pretty trite when it comes to our relationships that are dissolving in front of us and we have marriages breaking apart left and right and yet trust God, right? And it's a very simple word, but it's much, much more difficult when we actually think about what that means. Trust is one of those things that's easy to say the words and much, much more difficult to live it out. Kat and I experience that every time that we get in the car to go anywhere. Because the moment that I get behind the wheel and she, you know, I I just want to say I'm a very good driver. I was trained by my father who used to race the Baja 1000 and continues to drive as if he's in it. And so I can, I can bob and weave and get there faster than anybody else. And my wife, for whatever reason, has a difficult time trusting me. Now, she wouldn't say it. She never really comes out straight and says, I don't trust you. But she shows it. Because in the moment... You know, she's got that emergency break. She doesn't even think about it. She just kind of pushes. You going to come hang out with me? All right. Here we go. We'll see how long this lasts. So my, my girl has got like this, this emergency passenger break that she needs to push. Or, and this is my particular favorite, whenever she feels like we're getting too close to the person in front, she puts her hand up on the ceiling as if that's somehow going to stop the momentum of rear-ending somebody. I'm going, okay, this makes sense, but this, all you're getting is a torn rotator cuff and putting your dentist in a higher tax bracket. You know, I mean, I don't get that. I'm just, but, so my wife feels insecure about my driving because at the end of the day, she wants to know that she's safe, huh? Hey, honey, why don't you go down with mommy right there? You can take him with you. Go down with mama. Thanks, Bubba. So she wants to feel safe. I want to feel trusted. And she may not say it with her words, but with her actions, she's telling me she doesn't trust me. And isn't that so the case of what we do with God as well? God, I trust you so long as it feels like I have some semblance of control. 
so long as it feels like things are going the way I expect them to, but the moment I feel even remotely out of control, and she, you know what? I'm a foul man and I'm going to make mistakes left and right and she has every right, although it's, I say it now, it's going to be difficult the next time we get in the car. She's like, you told me I had every right. She has every right to feel nervous about my driving because she's not in control. And when it gets to be raining, we have a rule. She gets to drive because we have less fights that way. And then I get to try doing that, you know? Um, But we do this with God. God, I trust you so long as you continue to, to, to meet my needs, so long as you continue to satisfy my fears, and so long as it feels like I am, have some semblance of control. But we also have a whole lot of other things that compete with God for that control. Because as much as we say, in God we trust, there's a whole slew of other suitors for our trust, aren't there? Finances are a huge one. For many of us, our bank accounts are the first thing that we place our trust in because it's that that we know on a rainy day that will be there for us. And we trust in our insurance policies because that's going to preserve our bank accounts for that rainy day. Maybe we put our trust in our government. Maybe we put our trust, don't laugh, maybe we put our trust in our spouse and expect them to protect us and preserve us in everything. Maybe we place our trust in ourselves and our own strength. I was reading Time Magazine this morning about, they had some pictures of men and women who had won gold medals in the 40s and the 50s. Here are people who had every reason in the world to trust in their own strength and their own abilities. I mean, they were world champions, the best in the world. And yet, some 50 or 60 years later, they're, they're holding onto the bikes to keep themselves from falling over in these pictures. Because regardless of how strong we are and how capable we are and, 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 how, and how intellectually wise we are, those things are like shifting sand. They can be torn out from under us. Regardless of how deeply we love our spouses, they will let us down from time to time. Regardless of how much money we have in the bank, it's never quite enough, is it? And we know how fickle and how quickly that can disappear. Regardless of how strong our nation is, our government is, I mean, all we have to do is look at Rome, the preeminent nation of its day. Where's Rome now? We cannot trust in anything in this world. And in fact, Scripture is replete. Turn with me to, to Isaiah chapter 26. I know many of you were there this morning, so you should just be able to go right there. It's right in the middle. <laughs> I'm just joking about that. Um, it's right after Ecclesiastes. It's right before Jeremiah. It's kind of smack dab in the middle after the Psalms and all that kind of stuff. But Isaiah chapter 26. I'm just going to read a couple of verses out of here. But Scripture is replete with reminders for us to trust God. The Psalm says this, Some trust in horses and some in chariots, these things that in their day were the, the pinnacle of power, right? But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. In Isaiah 26, Isaiah is speaking to the people of Israel who have experienced devastation. They've been driven from their land, the promised land that God promised he would give them and keep them in. You know why he drove them from their land? Because of their unfaithfulness. Yes, they worshipped Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who established Israel as a nation. But they also worshipped all of the the lesser gods from the nations around them, just kind of hedging their bets, right? I trust God, but I'm also going to trust Moloch. I'm also going to trust Asherah. I'm also going to trust Baal. 
so that if Yahweh doesn't show up, at least I've got one of these other gods that might be able to protect me. Because really at the core of our worship is defense, protection. I want to make sure that I have the ability to control my life in some way. So if this God or if this thing offers me protection, I'll worship it so long as it gives me control. And Isaiah speaks to the Israelites and he speaks to us. In verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 26, he says this, You, God, Yahweh, will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast. Him whose mind is unwaveringly focused. I think of Peter sitting in the boat during that big storm on the Sea of Galilee. And he sees Jesus walking towards him. He goes, if you really are Jesus, tell me to get out of the boat. And Jesus goes, come on, come on out. And so Peter, steadfastly focused on Jesus, climbs out of the boat and begins to walk on the water and he doesn't sink. But what happens next? He begins to look around. He begins to see the wind and the waves and those things begin to overwhelm him because he realizes, I don't have the ability to control this. I'm scared. And his mind, he breaks his focus on Christ and he begins to sink in the water. And God is saying here, God will keep in perfect peace in the midst of the storms of life, in the midst of the painful things that happen, in the midst of the utter senseless tragedies that take place. God will keep in utter peace him whose mind is steadfastly focused on him because he trusts in God. Because our trust is in him and not in our own strength or in our bank account or in our relationships or in the government or any other thing that we place our trust in. Let's read verse 4. He now tells us, encourages us, exhorts us, trust in the Lord forever. And here's why. The Lord Yahweh is the rock eternal. When the things that we look to for our, our, our comfort and our solace are shaken, God is the only thing that is not shaken because God is the only infinite thing. Everything else is created. Everything is finite. Everything else will crumble. Be it our own abilities, our strength, our intellect, our bank accounts, relationships, our health, they're going to crumble. We're, we are called to trust in God because in Him alone can we find... He alone is worthy of trust. But let me be very clear about something because it often can sound, as we, as we sit in church, we say, trust God, and it really kind of comes across as saying, hey, if you trust in God, then you will never get sick. This is, this is almost implicit because we don't really talk about it, but this is kind of what's implied. If you trust in God, you'll never get sick. You will never have your heart broken by another person. You will never fear where the next meal is going to come from. You will never experience the kind of tragic loss that the people in Colorado experienced if you trust God. And let me tell you that that is looking at these verses and the verses throughout Scripture through the lens of 21st century America. Because 21st century America has the mindset that at the end of the day, life is about our comfort, our security, and feeling fulfilled. 21st century America tells us that the story ultimately is about us. We are the lead characters of our own story. And what does that make God? Some supporting cast member in our story who comes in and helps make it more fulfilling. He kind of comes in, and he's kind of like the salt in the soup. He adds flavor, but at the end of the day, we're still the main course. 
And the message of Scripture throughout the Bible is that all of history, every moment of history is His story. It's about Him. We may read about David, we may read about Daniel, we may read about Peter and Paul and the rest of the disciples, but at the end of the day, they are simply supporting cast members to a story about God's redemptive plan from the beginning of time to the end of time, that God is in the process of redeeming creation, redeeming his people, calling them to him. It's about more than our comfort. And just as David and Paul and and all of the disciples had an opportunity to play a part in that, to become almost ambassadors of reconciliation, we're invited into that same narrative. Now, here's why that matters. Think for a moment about what happens when we view life through the lens that it's about me. I'm the central character of my own story. And then our spouse is unfaithful to us. Or our health is shaken. Or something like what happened in Colorado Friday morning happens. And we begin to go, God, where on earth are you? How on earth could you let this happen? What the heck? This makes no sense. Because if if life is about comfort and safety and fulfillment, this doesn't factor into it. So God, are are you good? And are you even there? Because when we think of ourselves as the center of the story then we expect God to show up in certain ways. And it's often, it's always about us. Now think of it from the other perspective. If we are part, small parts, of a much grander narrative, a narrative of of historical redemption, of the creator and sustainer of the world, making all things new and drawing his children into relationship with him, then when we get sick, horrible but it's not the end of the world when we lose somebody that we love it's tragic but it's not the end of the world it's not the end of the story the story doesn't end there if our lives are snuffed out in seemingly senseless ways it's not the end of the story now let me be very clear god did not cause that gunman to break into the colorado movie theater and do that, just as he didn't have the terrorists fly into the World Trade Center. But God can take tragedy, tragedy that's caused because he gave human beings free will to make choices. And sometimes we use it for good, and oftentimes we use it to hurt other people. If we make that, if we are the center of the story, it makes no sense. But in this sense, that there is a grand narrative of God redeeming his people. I just want you to think for a moment about 11 years ago when those planes flew in the World Trade Center. Horrible, terrible. There are very few words to be able to describe it, but I will say this. The effect it had on our nation in the coming weeks and months, the spiritual awakening that began to happen in the unification of the churches and the way that people began to move towards their neighbor and we kind of broke out of our very self-centered American malaise, that was real too. Now, did God cause that to happen? I don't think so. But he used that because God is in the, in the business of redeeming tragedy, making something beautiful and redeeming out of something terrible and senseless. Here's the other thing. 
If we find ourselves as the central character in our own story, what a terribly small, pathetic story that must be. Because that turns other people into simply supporting cast members that are to make our lives better. But if we begin to find ourselves in a grander narrative that it's not just about us, it's about something far, far greater, God is in the process of redeeming, then even the things that bring pain can have redemptive value. Jesus said it this way. In this world, he said this to his disciples, the guys who were closest to him, in this world you will have trouble. Don't be surprised when you face persecution. Don't be surprised when you get sick, when you may even die. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Sickness will not get the last word. Divorce will not get the last word. Heartbreak, death, even senseless death will not get the last word. And then he invites us into this narrative. And he says, you're not just some meaningless player. You have a part to play because you get to be an ambassador of hope and reconciliation to a world that is desperately in need of hope. You suddenly are no longer living just for yourself and your own comfort, which is so fleeting. You get to live for something bigger. And I can tell you about it, but I'd rather invite one of my friends up to tell you about what it's looked like because there's a guy in this church that over the course of the last year has so radically gone from this camp of seeing the world from it is about me and it's my little story and people are just simply supporting cast members to recognizing that he's part of a much grander narrative. So I'm going to invite Stephen. Where are you? There you are. Come on up here. Stephen Cornett to come up here. Can this one on? Hello, 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 hello. That doesn't work when I've already got that. Hello. And Stephen, I would love for you to... Um, yes, sit down because you make me feel short. <laughs> Rude of God to do that. Because it's really about me. I would love for you to share um, about the transition that took place as you began to recognize that it's, it's really not about me. It, it, I'm part of something bigger. And how that's affected how you view others, how that's affected how you view God, and how that's affected your own stuff. So, Well, uh, being a 20-year-old kid, you think the world is out there for you. And up at college, I uh, kind of got the mindset of, you know... I can get something out of her. I can get something out of him. And so I'd be friendly to him, but it was in that disingenuous way. And I just, I mean, people could, would start to see that after a while, like, I'm only hanging out with him when we're doing something. We can't just sit here and hang out. And I just learned that, you know, if you live for yourself, ultimately you're going to end up by yourself. Mm. And uh, so I went through a rough phase for about two years. And uh, that's when I found out how much my parents really do love me. So thank you. But um, it's just ever since I found or God found me and brought Egypt into my life to uh, help me get going again. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, when you're living for yourself, you take for granted all the little stuff you have with you, like your family, your kids, your job this church, it's like it's easy to forget that we're so blessed with all this little stuff because all we're, 
all we're searching for is the big picture. But it's the small pieces that make that picture what it is. And just, I mean, all the support you guys have shown me. You didn't even know me, yet you guys supported me for this Africa trip like I'm your brother. And I love you guys for that. Mm. But um, how have you seen... You, you, I love that. You, you, when you live for yourself, you live by yourself. I, you know. But how have you seen that change as you've begun to recognize that uh, you're part of a different story, something where you're not the central character? I mean, well, at first when I accepted Christ, it was all good. Like, I was all smiles. It was all, yes, I found him. But then even when you accept Christ, you're kind of like, well, I'm going to do this. God bless me when I do this, mm. even if it's not what he wants from you. But then I learned quickly that you got to get on his page. And when you're on his page, you see the smiles on the people around you. And that alone is worth anything. Like Just to see happiness on the people around you, just knowing that you're a part of it, God's using you as a part to make someone else smile is the greatest gift in the world, I think. Awesome. So you're going to be part of this crew that's going out to, to Africa here in a couple of days. Um, and I want to invite Egypt up right now to share a little bit about, um, as we make this transition from the world is about me to really I'm part of something much larger, what is that, how does that play out then? So you come on up and we'll go sit down and... VBS presentation right now, and then he's going to come up and kind of pull it together for us, right? So let's watch this special, what took place all week long. It's a great opportunity. Enjoy. In season and out of season. First of all, it's an honor to see all these uh, incredibly beautiful faces, smiling, a lot of teeth. I like that. Um, let me begin by saying it was only a year ago. As a matter of fact, it was a year ago this week. Oh, okay, is there a video? Okay, I'm just going to shut up and take a seat. Goodness. As you can see, that was one wild week. And what we learned that entire week is everything is possible with God. Everything is possible. I thought of Mary in the beginning of the New Testament. And the response of her as the Holy Spirit speaks to her, and the angel speaks to her and says, Mary, you are going to be pregnant with God's very son, she thinks that's impossible. It can't happen. And he says these simple words, Mary, nothing is impossible with God. And then she says, may it be done to me according to your word. And she experiences the impossible. God desires for us to experience the impossible in our lives with our children, with our friends, with our family, with all the situations we're going to encounter on a regular basis. He wants us to be a, a partner in the mission, a partner in the impossible mission that he set for each one of us, that without him it wouldn't be possible, with him it always is. When we say simply these words, let your will be done in me. Can you say that with me? Let your will be done in me. When we do that, the impossible becomes possible. The apostles found themselves in the situation. They didn't know what to do. They said, what's going to happen next to us? 
We're not sure what to do. We're involved in these healings and these miracles, but we're afraid, we're frightened. How much faith does it take, Lord? And the Lord turns and says, if you have faith just as a mustard seed, nothing will be what? Impossible for you. I'm going, that doesn't take much faith. The point isn't the faith. The point is God. Who you have faith in. Nothing is impossible with people that put their faith in God. I saw a TV show here a little while back, and there was a young lady whose mother had died. She had a pastor share with her that God would not give her anything that she could not handle. But whatever situation comes her way, who would find and give her a way to deal with it? And she responds, she said, you mean if I was weaker than my mom would still be alive? And that's not at all what he meant. God gives us strength to match our adversities, not problems to match our strengths. God is always desiring to make the impossible possible as we depend and trust in Him. I love Genesis 50, 20. It's, it's Joseph's declaration of his entire life after he'd gone through jail and tough times and sold as a slave. And he stands for his brothers who are looking at him and saying, we know you hate us for what we did to you. And he turns to them and he says this, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Nothing is impossible with God. And that's what he was trying to say over and over and over again, that God wants us to understand that we can be a partner in the life of a mission impossible. Because you see, all of our lives are impossible missions. My marriage is an impossible marriage because I'm in it. But as God grabs a hold of me and my wife and puts us together and pulls us together, we find ourselves experiencing something we never thought we would. Never. It was impossible. We were told time after time after time, it's impossible For you to have a decent marriage, look at your families, look at your structure. They're all divorced, they're all broken down. We said, I know. But with God, all things are what? Everything is possible with God. And that's what we learned over and over. That God wants you to be a a partner in his mission. He wants you to understand why he puts you here on earth. He wants you to have the power to make it through each day. To overcome the problems that are messing you up. He wants to give you peace of mind instead of this worry and stress and anxiety. He wants to give you security and strength. And then he wants to give you an eternal home in heaven. So from that point on, we'll find ourselves experiencing the impossible. Life after death. Because with God, all things are... Yeah, there it is. You're a part of his family. And like Joseph experienced it, Moses, ah, he experienced it. Jesus, wow, did he experience it. The apostles, Paul, person after person after person experiences this wonderful miracle where God makes the impossible possible. Boy, um, final story. And he's just going to come out and we're going to ha- share with our missions group here. Uh, Joe Delaney, Cincinnati, Ohio, his son, Jared, uh, Neither one of them knew anything about the Lord. In fact, while they were sitting there talking, the son turned, eight-year-old boy, turned to his dad, and he said, Dad, is God alive? Does God exist? And Dad didn't know, and he said, I don't know. I really don't know. And he said, 
well, if God exists, surely he wants to speak to us. And Dad said, I would think so. And they sat there and talked for a while. And finally, the boy abruptly got up, ran to the garage, took out one of those helium mylar balloons they'd gotten from the fair. And he writes on a note and sticks it on the side of it. And he said, I'm going to ask God to speak to us. And he writes on the note. And he says, God, if you exist, send us somebody who knows you. And he lets the balloon go. Two days later, and Dad's thinking, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I can't believe he did that. God, I hope you're listening if you're there. Two days later, he pulls into this free car wash. Well, these guys are given a free car wash. In the midst of this, this car wash, after they were done, the little boy turns to him and says, hey, thank you so much. Why is this free? He said, it's free because we love God and we want to let other people know that, that he loves him too. And the little boy goes, what? And he said, do you guys know God? And they said, oh, yeah, we know God. The one who loves us? He said, yeah, the one who loves you. And he went, oh, my goodness, God answered my prayer. And now Joe and Jared are both at a church in Cincinnati, Ohio, walking with the Lord and sharing that story on a regular basis. Say, God is a God who makes the impossible what? Possible. I love that uh, Mission Impossible comment. When the guy turns to uh, Tom Cruise in this case and he says, you know, it's not called Mission Difficult. It's called Mission Impossible. And our lives, folks, it's impossible to make it work without God. But with God, everything is possible. Father, speak to us today as we find ourselves even now setting aside 13 people. 13 people have decided they want to share with people they've never seen before and never interacted with in a world that's truly beyond ours. And we would ask that you might grab a hold of each one of these and stir in them the awareness that they are going to be a catalyst to touch people's lives in such a way that they will find themselves saying, what I thought was impossible has become possible because of you. Let that happen. Lord, as Egypt shares with us these final thoughts about where we're going and why we're going there, allow us the privilege of grabbing a hold of it, and then together we're going to pray and send this group out and rejoice over what you're going to do. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Egypt. We love change. <laughs> if you see our planning schedule for today, you could just put red ink all over that thing. God is so good. Um, it was a year ago this week that uh, my uncle, who was more like my dad, he was responsible for raising me in my formidable years from, say, sixth grade through high school. And he was my hero. He was in a hospital at University of Chicago Medical Center on life support. I've never seen that many wires hooked up to a single person. He was a recipient of two heart transplants in a matter of three years. I've never heard of anyone getting two. But he had two, and his heart was failing, and his entire body was failing. And I was faced with the reality of going back to attend a funeral, and I ultimately did. Shortly after that, I returned home, and within a week, many of you know, I suffered a pretty severe injury. I severed my Achilles tendon. And I'm still in recovery from that thing, and I'm telling you, it hurts. And some of you have come alongside soon afterward and said, you think God might be telling you to slow down? No. I think he's saying stop. Flat out stop. 
And maybe that's some of you today because you came and you thought you were going to hear some specific thing that you can kind of take away in your shopping bag and say, hey, I got this certain thing, now I can feel a little better about myself. But it was in that moment that I heard God clearer than any other time in my life. And he was talking to me about perspective. It's interesting what happens to you when you physically can't do something. And those of you who know me, I'm pretty much one of those physical kind of people, always doing something. Whether it's jumping out of airplanes or speaking in schools. And it was that perspective that kind of set in motion this idea of how we solve problems. And we solve problems here in America primarily by way of what can I do to fix you versus what I can do to help. I sat down with a pastor from Kenya not too long ago, and we had this four-and-a-half-hour lunch, and it carried on and on and on and on. It was an incredible discussion, but he talked about the dynamics of Americans, i.e. Westerners, coming to Africa, always trying to do things. He said, in general, Africans will be very nice to you. They'll be very polite. They're very glad to see you, glad that you came. You spent all that money and time and effort, and you came over here, and we want to build schools and hospitals and dig wells. And don't get me wrong. Those things are most excellent, most needed. But he said, many times when you build things, when you leave, we actually have to bring our own laborers in, laborers in to actually repair what you didn't do such a great job at. That was a sobering thought to me. He said, you, you guys, you come in with this idea of what do you need as if America, we've got it together. Rather than asking the question, what do you have? Do you know their soil is so much more rich than ours? You think organic vegetables taste good here? <sighs> haven't tasted anything till you tasted some of that food. The roads need a lot of work. There's a lot of social ills, and yeah, yeah, those things are transparent amongst all cultures. But the reality is, is we have this opportunity to go to a place that many of you parents have expressed the fear and anxiety and worry and doubt, which I, I hear you. So in advance, I thank you, moms and dads, for entrusting your daughters, your sons, not to my care, but to God's. You heard Eric begin this message about trust, trusting God, no matter what. Trust God. And then you heard Lee talk about there's nothing that's impossible with God. He has no limitations, no barriers. So I want you to be careful about the idea of going to do something so that we can come back and give you this great slideshow about what we did. So we're going with the premise to first listen and learn. And I know that seems bizarre because you mean to tell me you raised all that money to go and listen? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Oh, snap. No, he didn't. Yes, I did. So be very careful that your motivation, the fuel that we use, is truly motored by the Holy Spirit because, you know, you think it's warm in here. This is like winter to Africa. So for many of our team members, this is just preconditioning. You know, we're just kind of getting into the flow a little bit. Sweat's a good thing as long as you take a bath. And, you know, everything works out just perfectly. But let me share something with you which I think is pretty dynamic pretty interesting here and uh, it's something that has a lot to do with the family structure the differences of African families particularly in Kenya and Uganda where we're going we generally go to the western region uh, Nigeria particularly Ghana Togo Cameroon that area uh, but this year we're going to be in East Africa this discussion or this idea of mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers fathers grandfathers and great-grandfathers 
This idea in upper, uh, in southern Uganda and northern Kenya where we're going to be, there are no mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers. You have first moms, second moms, and third moms. So a grandmother would be a second mom, or a great-grandmother would be a second or a, a third mom. Or in the whole idea around that is the fact that it really does take a village to raise a child. Many of you moms and dads know this better than anyone. You know that you're at your wit's end trying to figure out what your kid wants, how to settle them down, how to calm them down. And everything's fine and good when they're a year old, two years, three years old, but things seem to change when they're around 16 years old and... Boy, you sure do need your youth pastors in, don't you? It's an amazing thing when they form an opinion and an attitude that goes right along with it. And things seem to change somewhat. So one of the things that we get to do is we really get to come and obtain a different perspective on life. Now, are we doing things? Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. We are certainly going to do things. Everyone has a cover story. You'd better have a cover story and figure out how you are going to meet an, an ultimate objective. It was last week, I'm driving here to the church in, of all places, in front of Mother's Market. You guys know where that is? Right there on the corner, was it 19th and 17th, I'm sorry, and Freeway? Well, there's this young man, and I've seen him before, and he's holding this sign. <laughs> and he's holding one of those signs, and you know, the whole word work for food, and you know, this sign had something to do with, uh, you know, living on faith. And I was kind of like, excuse me? But it kind of bothered me, so I actually drove all the way around the block, and I came back, and I, I had enough margin in my day, and I took a couple minutes, and I got out, and I asked him, hey, man, what's your story? You know, the first thing out of his mouth, he goes, I'm not a scammer. I said, I thought that was an interesting little response. He goes, I'm not, I'm not a scammer. He goes, I'm just a guy, I was, you know, 22 years old, I came from Texas, I came out here with a girl, and then the girl abandoned me, and... I'm just trying to make it. I want to go to college, and I've tried, and I, I was working this job, and then I got let go at the economy, and they had this big layoff, and I was a busboy, and then I got let go, and and I got this problem with my, my, my neck, and I'm blind in one eye, and I actually have a false eye, and had to have the silicone fill in, and he showed me, and I was like, I never want to see that again. Thank you very much. But 30 minutes later, 30 minutes later, into this conversation, and I don't know where the time went. He said, it's, it's kind of like the New Testament, he says about his life. And I go, really? Thank you, Lord, for this setup. I said, so tell me, what would you think about it? He goes, it was really good. I, I really like that guy, Jesus. I'm like, cool, what do you know about him? So another ten minutes into this thing, come to find out he seems pretty legit. So I said, can I, pray for, can I pray with you? He says, yeah. So as soon as I bow my head, my back is to the traffic. A man comes by in a BMW convertible, like literally a couple feet off my backside, and screams, get a job! Uh, so not to break the moment, I pretended that I didn't hear it, but it was kind of hard not to. So I just kept praying with him. And then afterwards, I said, so how do you deal with people? And he goes, well, you, you saw. And I go, saw what? And he started laughing. He thought that was the most neatest thing, that I wouldn't break a prayer to give attention to someone who was hostily yelling, get a job. He goes, that's how people treat me. I said, I can, I can understand that a little bit. 
So we prayed and I left. But the reality is, is that moment, I took the moment of time to really just kind of pour into him. That's what I'm asking our team in Africa to do, is to break the interruption of your day and be available, to go somewhere where you would never go. I'm not going to kid you. You read news reports. I know the reports you see. It's a lot different when you get there. But you are as much a part of this as we are. You are as much a part of this as we are. So in closing, the point I want to make is that we are going to have projects like what we call Project Esther. You can barely see this dress over here, so I'll hold it up a little bit. But this is one of 35 wedding dresses that we are actually going to be taking over to Africa and helping women to launch a micro-business. Think of it as a wedding dress rental franchise. Think about this business model. We provide a dress and some training and some encouragement. The women go out and rent a dress. They create a profit margin. This is kind of business 101 for all of you business etiquette. You, you get it? Create a margin, invest back in your company, take care of your needs. Hey, you can go build your own buildings. You can go dig your own wells. You can go hire your own laborers. I don't want to come and take jobs from you. I want to come alongside you and assist you. So that is a cover story so that we can actually be about God's work and doing the ministry. Some of you see these soccer balls up here. We'll be able to interact with more kids than we'll ever have the opportunity to count. But carrying on soccer and basketball type workshops. You know what, Lee, where are those? Oh, here they are, life straws. These life straws, many of you have been supporting these, and these are, we're going to be able to bring, right now, last record is 266 life straws. So at 25 bucks a pop, and considering the shipping and getting these things over, this portable water filtration device flat out saves lives. I don't think I need to sell you on the importance of clean water. That, in a nutshell, saves lives. So we'll be able to teach and distribute these life straws as well, as well as do a lot of the other, what I consider the basic ministry elements and some outreaches and being able to do hospital visitation and uh, with the elderly and the sick and with children and so forth. But these are many of the things that we'll get an opportunity to do. And nine of 13 members, it's their first time to Africa. So keeping that in mind, uh, it's, a, it's a very big responsibility. It's the largest team by far I've ever taken. That's a lot going on. We will be gone a total of 18 days, leaving out this Wednesday, coming back Saturday, August the 11th. So as Lee comes up, we're going to transition because I think we're going to have the team come up yes, we at are. this point. All right. All those 13 that are going to be going on this mission trip, I want you to come up here right to the front. I want the elders to come up as well. They can pray for them. Come on up. We're going to have the worship team come up on the band. They're going to get ready for us there. Okay, all you guys. Okay, you guys need to kind of come forward a little bit because they need the elders are going to need to come behind you. Yep. Going to lay hands on you in a good way. Hopefully. You never know how it's going to happen or what's not. Uh, we're going to pray over you as we send you out. This is going to be a remarkable few weeks. We'll be together, and you're going to either really like me at the end of this time or really dislike me. No, you're going to really like me at the end of the time. You're not going to like Egypt, but you're going to like me. Because <laughs> he's in charge, and I just get to be the guy on the side that gives you encouragement. So we look forward to all 13. This is going to be a wonderful time. You guys have set aside now $4,500 each they were able to raise. You realize we're talking about somewhere in the tune of $70,000 was put together so that we can head off to 
Africa and minister to these people and be ministered to. Because you see, the reality is every life here you see is going to be changed, radically changed. My life was changed. I went up five years ago. I came back and I got cancer, so I couldn't go back immediately. So five years later, I finally get to fulfill my promise. I told him I was coming back. And Egypt reminded me because <laughs> I said, I don't know if I can go this year. And he said, Pastor, you said you would come back and they're waiting for you. And I said, I'm coming back. So we're looking forward to what God has in mind for us there. Some of you have got to, on your bulletins, you've got this little tear out. I want you to turn that out, tear that out right now. Pull out your bulletin. Tear off this little sheet here on the side. Just like that. There may be a prayer request you have in it. Maybe something you need to say to us about it. Whatever it may be. And then you also, some of you need to give an offering. So we're going to take an offering here in just a moment. as When the band leads us. We're going to pray. Then we're going to sing this song. And we're going to take an offering as the song is sung. And then we're going to close up this service together with a special time. All right? Wonderful. Let's pray right now for each one of these elders. Why don't you pray? And here's the mic. Oh, Father, we just uh, thank you for the incredible um, opportunity to pray for these folks, Lord, as they just step out in faith uh, to do your will, Lord. And uh, as Egypt has already said, um, they have plans, perhaps, and uh, I'm sure everything will not go precisely as planned, Father, but as long as it's your will, it's done. We just pray that um, you will give them peace, Lord, that you will protect them, and just give them amazing opportunities, Father, to... Uh, to bless others. And Father, we pray that you would go before them, preparing the way, setting up divine appointments. I pray that as they go, you would be with them and open their eyes to the opportunities around so that they can see what you're doing and give them wisdom to know how they can join you in it. And then I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come behind and minister to those who have been touched, that you would surround these individuals who are going to be uh, connecting with one another uh, and surround them with others who will water the seeds that have been planted and others will harvest. But at the end of the day, God, we declare that this is about you and the advancement of your kingdom into the lives of those that will be touched in Africa, but into these 13 as well Mm -hmm. as they go to listen and to obey. Lord, we just look forward to hearing the wonderful stories about the things you've done in their lives, the opportunities you gave, the amazing things you do through this team and with this team during their time in Africa. Lord, first of all, I want to thank you, Lord, for these 13, Lord, that uh, so graciously are giving up part of their lives, Lord, to go to Africa to serve you. I ask for protection. On each of them, Lord, just ask that you're with them every step of the way, as well as return. And like Pastor Lee said earlier, Lord, I just pray that let your will be done in these 13. Mm-hmm. And I just ask you these things in your son's name. Amen. Lord, that was interesting. Father, thank you for this opportunity we have simply to set aside these who you've chosen. And you have provided them with everything they need so that they can experience this impossible, impossible undertaking. Grant us a safe trip. Give us the ability to speak when we need to speak and to be silent when we need to be silent. And everything, I pray for each one here that they might accomplish the tasks you set before them in the weeks ahead.
And we ask this in Jesus' gracious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.